0: Off episode 299 of Monster Kid Radio, the episode before Christmas with a Christmas song. This is the Boss of Jaguars Rockin' carol from the album Santa's Banging Safari from the band The Boss of Jaguars. You can find them at the Mighty Check them out when you're done listening to this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show and thanks for being patient while I put it out for everybody to check out this Christmas themed episode. I've got an old friend coming on the show. He was just on the podcast I think about a month ago or so, but I had to have him come back to talk about the 1972 film Tales from the Crypt. Talking about my man, one of my absolute favorite horror hosts, Dr. Gangreen, AKA Larry Underwood. We picked Tales from the Crypt because there's a Christmas segment in it. We're going to talk about that and the rest of the movie as well. We're probably going to spoil the movie. If you haven't seen it, we do kind of go step by step through the whole thing. So we do spoil the story You've been warned. After that, I've got a handful of people who've called in their Christmas messages for Monster Kid Radio. They're going to tell people how they incorporate the monsters into their Christmas or their holiday celebrations and get some general holiday messages as well. And then I'll come back at the end and talk about what's coming up next. Let's get to it with Larry, Tales from the Crypt, 1972, ho, 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 right after this.
1: the bright lights, the innocent pleasures, there lies another world. The sinister world of Dr. Diablo. The real torture god. It is not for the faint of heart what you find there will be more terrifying, more horrendous than your deepest, darkest dreams. Who has the courage to try it? You, Jack Palance. Have you the courage to face what the fates have in store for you? You, Burgess Meredith, as the devil incarnate. What horror will you next reveal? You, Beverly Adams, what lies beyond your dreams to bedevil your future? The Torture Garden. Many people walk the length of its terror.
2: No!
3: I'll do it!
2: I'll do it!
1: This is the writer who shields the secrets of immortality. Did you know that there are ways to raise the dead? The rich man who'd sooner part with his life than his wealth. The money. The torture garden. It's where the devil calls the tune... You play a concert no! of fear. No! No!
3: No! No! There's a man out there with with his head all. No. Ah! Ah! You are trapped.
1: See, I promised you horror, and I intend to keep that promise. Every once in a while, there is a special kind of horror film that becomes a horror classic. In 1931, it was Frankenstein. In 1932, it was Dracula. In 1971, it was Rosemary's Baby. In 1973, it was The Exorcist. The And this year it is From Beyond the Grave. Secret worlds become public nightmares where children's play toys are the devil's weapons. A truly terrifying motion picture where death is just the beginning and the grave is not just a resting place. Ah! Ah! And pleasant rooms become evil tombs. From Beyond the Grave. The horror picture you will remember all your life. <laughs> the most terrifying form of evil is that which lurks within the human mind. Asylum. The ultimate in horror. This is a, an asylum of the incurably insane. Asylum, filled with stark, raving terror. (laughs) From Robert Block, author of Psycho. Asylum, the prison of madness where few enter and none return. See, Asylum, you have nothing to lose but your mind.
0: feels like i just had this week's guest on monster kid radio not too long ago and that's a good thing because i love chatting with larry underwood welcome back to the show sir hey thanks for having me on man and yeah i was just on here a few weeks ago yeah it feels like it right i was looking yeah. at the website it looks like we had john about a month ago but uh how long was it between that and the previous appearance it's been too long so thank you for coming back man
4: oh man thanks for having me this is this is
0: going to be fun. This is going to be fun because we're talking about a film in your subgenre, your favorite subgenre. You love anthologies. I do. It's always been my very favorite, and probably because of tonight's movie is, is the biggest reason. Really, this is the one that kind of puts you in the camp. It
4: is as a kid, and and part of that comes from being such a comic book fan. Also, you know, of course, I read my Spider-Man comic books. That was number one, but. Second, right underneath that was horror comics, and any chance I got to pick up a horror comic book when I was at the stores, I'd grab them. You know, whether mostly Marvel reprints, but sometimes I find a DC, you know, House of what was the House of Secrets or whatever. But um, mostly it was DC. I mean, the Marvel stuff, the reprints of the old stuff. But then I'd run across also at the comic book shop reprints of EC comics, and that's what really got me going—the Tales from the Crypt, the Vault of Horror—and then found out about this movie finally got to see tales from the crypt and was a, just a fellow in love immediately
0: i know we've talked about anthologies here on the show before with you because i, I know i mean you are known for the these uh, anthologies just loving them uh you've written collections of short stories and released those out and kind of packaged them as kind of sort of anthology i mean i know when it comes to anthologies you're the guy i need to talk to and you know it's the week of christmas and I know this anthology has a little Christmas bit in it, so I thought, you know, this is the one. This is the one we've got to get Larry on. We've got to talk about 1972's Tales from the Crypt.
4: It is a perfect Christmas movie. It really is, just because of that one segment.
1: Welcome to the Crypt. You are invited on a guided tour of a world of darkness. Where nightmares become reality. Dead lives. Dead lives in Tales from the Crypt. The Vault of Horror is about to open. You will learn its terrifying secrets if you dare. from the crypt. From Cinerama releasing. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Some material may be unsuitable for pre-teenagers.
0: Now, I've seen this movie before. I had seen it uh, when I rented it from well, I guess, yeah, technically I rented it. I didn't pay for it because I was working in the blockbuster video at the time. But I took it home. It was in one of those big box clamshell VHS. Mm -hmm. And the cover of it had it wasn't the cover that you see on the movie poster. It was more of a cover of uh, Sight coming out of the grave.
4: Oh, okay, yeah.
0: And I don't know if that was actually, now that I think about it, if that was the actual cover or if that was something that was cut out of a poster and stuck in a used clamshell because sometimes Blockbuster would do that. Yeah. Ooh. But, yeah, that, that's how I first saw it. And I think it was after the Tales from the Crypt TV show on HBO had started that I went back to check it out and learn okay. more about it. Yeah. But obviously, you're aware of the, the HBO show. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh yeah, love
4: it. Got sitting right here. Got all the all the box set. Got them all sitting right here in front of me. Go back and revisit those from time to time, and and every Christmas especially uh, revisit those also because of the this episode tonight being redone for that TV show. Yeah, I love it. I think that it was fantastic. I love the Crypt Keeper in the TV series, and I kind of dread where they're going with the upcoming revival of it because I just don't know that they have a clear vision in mind it just we'll keep fingers crossed and hope for the best
0: have you ever met uh john casir i have
4: actually i got to meet him at Horrorhound when they did the horror host hall of fame induction for me he was there also and he was inducted as well so yeah i got to meet him at that show
0: inducted the same
5: year
4: yeah oh you're classmates yeah we are we are which (laughs) is pretty cool to think uh i've always said that the crypt keeper was a horror host and and the ending was, you know, when you think about it.
0: Oh, sure, sure. And
4: John Cassier's voice talent brought that thing to life. I mean, nobody can cackle like that guy.
0: I met him once at a horror hound back when I was doing the zombie show and had him cut a, a station ID as the Crypt Keeper, which was awesome. I'd love to awesome. run into him again and ask him to do one for Monster Kid Radio because he'll just be brilliant.
4: Oh, you should. I wonder if he does, um I'm sure he does, it probably charges people for it, but if, if he would do a, something for people's answering machine. You know, have a oh, keeper your answer nice. yours. <laughs> nice. That would Although, be that would be fun.
0: We're getting to a point now where people are like, Who is this? You know,
4: it's like oh, Yeah. That's true. Exactly. It has been it has been a couple decades now.
0: Well, like you said though, they're they're talking about bringing it back. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I just you know, M night,
4: I don't have much much faith from the more I read about it the less clear it is. I mean I keep reading more stories and it just doesn't get any more clear what their vision is. We'll see.
0: Well, let's talk about the good one. Let's talk about 1972's film. This, you know, like I said, I'd seen it years ago on VHS. This is the first time I've revisited it since then. Even though it's got a couple of zombie things, I never talked about it on my old zombie show. Really? So it's the first time I've revisited it in a
4: long... This would have been a great one for you.
0: And, you know, I first found
4: out about you through that zombie podcast. That's where you and I met. I was listening to the zombie podcast, and I I, uh, sent you an email.
0: Now, the zombie show brought me a lot of good stuff. It put me into contact with a number of amazing people, and, yeah, I cut my teeth on podcasting there. So, yeah, nothing, nothing wrong with the zombie show. Just never got around to talking about this one on the show, so I'm glad we finally got around, or at least I finally got around to talking about it on a podcast proper.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: back on that zombie show, I man, I keep talking about this. This, this year specifically. The zombie show keeps coming up over and over again. Back on The Zombie Show, I used to give movies a, a headshot rating. Uh, do you remember that? I do. I do remember with the, with the gunfire. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I might even still have that old sound effect around here somewhere. And if I can, I'll dig it up because I'd give this movie a solid four out of five headshots. Nice. I, and I, I totally
4: agree. That's a good rating. There's, Yeah, that's about right. And, of course, this is an amicus film. And you know how much of an amicus fan I am. Oh, yeah. So amicus anthologies, number one on my list. This was actually uh, like the fifth, AMIC, well, I don't know. It was the fourth, I think, anthology. You had Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, and you had Torture Garden, and then The House of Dripple. So, yeah, this would have been the fourth
0: one. Okay, I was going to ask you where this came in the, in the long line of anthologists they had done.
4: Yeah, and then they had, okay, so you had Dr. Terror's House of Horrors in 65, then you had Torture Garden 67. Yeah, I just found a list here. Uh House of Drip Blood, 71, so that's right. And then this one, then Asylum was after this in 72. That's
6: another good one.
4: And then Vault of Horror in 73, and um From Beyond the Grave, and then finished up with, you're in my favorite, oh, no. The Monster Club. <laughs> <laughs> I have to mention that every time I'm on the air now, just so that song will get stuck in your head.
0: Yeah, thanks, buddy. You're a good friend. <laughs> now I'm realizing why we waited so long. That, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> No, the, the anthologies. Amicus was knocking them out, and they really knew what they were doing. They, they stumbled across a formula or something—I don't know why or how it worked—but mm-hmm. Amicus just when they ever did when they did an anthology, they did it right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they just definitely did, and and I think pulling
4: from the comics like this one does because well, first off, I like it because it's got five stories in it, which to me is the proper amount for an anthology. Some have four, some have three, but I really like the five story format. Um, they're all quick, and you get more stories packed together. Any more than that, like some of the modern anthologies, some of them have, like, I don't know, a whole. I mean, you've got your ABCs of Death has tons of, of stories in it. and the, But then you've also got, oh, what's the Halloween one, Trick or Treat? I really like that movie, but it's got even more than five, I think.
0: Well, and the wraparound kind of turns into its own story eventually anyway. So, mm-hmm. Which is great. I
4: love a good wraparound. That, that ties it all together. That's one thing some of the, uh, amicus were a little weak on some of the wraparounds, but it didn't matter so much, you know? It's all about the stories and the mood and the atmosphere and the feel of them. They have a certain feel to them. It's just creepy and fun. And, uh, there's a quality level to the stories. They're all shot on film. Obviously, everything's video nowadays, but everything's shot on film and you got Freddie Francis directed this. Who was fantastic. It's a solid movie.
0: And even though there's five stories in this, which means they don't run very long—what ten, 10 minutes, fifteen minutes
2: tops—they
0: mm-hmm. don't hold back on the production value. I could see where it could be more expensive to make an anthology because you've got different sets, different props, different costumes, a much bigger cast. But they don't hold back, or at least it doesn't look like they hold back in this one or Doctor Terror's House of Horrors or any of well. I guess the wraparound for Dr. Terror is obvious that they're just sitting in a, a boxcar in a warehouse somewhere to, to shoot the uh, the bits with them on the train. But overall, the production design doesn't seem to suffer, and I really respect Amicus for that. You sometimes see some of these lower-budget shot on video anthologies these days, and yeah, it's obvious. You know, they had five people to make the entire movie, and... You know, There's just not a lot of production designer value, whereas with Amicus, they never held back. And as far
4: as uh, cast, you know, they top top notch, um, had some great people. Peter Cushing being top of the line, you know.
0: Our man. Yeah. Our man. You know, we started and stopped recording this, listeners, a couple of times, so I don't know where we are in the recording right now, but it didn't take as long to get to the Cushing. <laughs>
4: it didn't take as long That's right. All.
0: It's Peter Cushing. I mean, like I said, when I first picked this up on VHS – it had Peter Cushing right there on the cover, and this is one of his more iconic performances, I feel, because it's so atypical when it comes to the horror movies or the monster movies that he did. I mean, he's such a sympathetic character in this.
4: He really is, and yeah, love his
0: performance in this movie. And I know he's channeling some of his own life. Uh, this, mm-hmm. boy, His wife had died. I don't know where his wife... Well, his wife
4: I actually looked that up. His wife, because I was curious, because he plays a character whose wife has just died. Well, his own wife died in January of 1971, and they started filming this movie in September of 1971. So, I mean, you know that that was absolutely forefront in his mind when they were shooting this. And he actually asked to play that role, because they they initially asked him to play the the monkey's paw character uh, from the Wish You Were Here segment. And he said, no, I think I'd rather play Grimsdyke. And you know he knew that he would be able to channel that properly. Wow. Probably was cathartic for him in some ways.
0: Reading about some of the movies that he had made shortly after his wife had passed, it does feel like if he was able to throw himself into some work, it was good for him. Mm -hmm. Christopher Lee had to talk him into doing Horror Express, things like that, and it just was a wonderful, you know, it worked out great. Well, as great as it can. (laughs) It worked out well for him, you know, so... I was wondering about where this lay in terms of, of that. So that's, wow. Yeah, and they're really, really recent. You know, matter of months. Yeah, and that makes that, move, that performance even more moving for me. The yeah, him, it's just terrible. So sad. I mean, I like, yeah. Peter Cushing, I'm used to scaring me, taking mm-hmm. me on a thrill ride. You know, and yeah, sometimes he plays a hero, Van Helsing and such. I'm always along for the ride with him. Now, with this performance, I just wanted to hang out and, and give him a hug, you know? He's so <laughs> sympathetic. And what happens to him is so terrible. He did nothing wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Poor Grim's sake. That's the uh, third segment, isn't it? Yes. That's yeah. the third segment called Poetic Justice. I, I want to get to the Christmas one eventually, but to talk about the other segments here, we had Reflection of Death, which is our mm. second segment, which... Of all the stories in this, that's the one I had forgotten.
4: Yeah. Which is a, another zombie story. It really is. We should get to the wraparounds first. and we'll then the kind of, Okay, yeah. Yeah, sure. So, so it, it opens up with a tourist group going through some catacombs. And the guys are like, you know, kind of stick close, you know, don't, don't get lost, and that kind of thing. And Which then, you
0: know is to lead into. <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> course. Some characters are about to get lost. <laughs> mm. So
4: five of them do. A doorway opens up. They go into this chamber. And it closes behind them. They're kind of where are we? What's going on? And this guy appears dressed in brown, almost like monk's robes. It's the Crypt Keeper, although sort of a different version from from very different anyway from our modern Crypt Keeper. Just sort of an old man in in robes, which is closer to what was in the EC Comics originally. You know,
0: to sideline real quick, the EC Comics they had the Crypt Keeper, and there were two other.
4: Host. The Vault Keeper and the Old Witch.
0: The Vault Keeper and the Old Witch. Okay, so this, this is more Crypt Keeper-like, but I could see some elements from, like, the Vault Keeper as well in here. Oh, yeah, the Vault Keeper had the hood up,
4: and, as does our Crypt Keeper in this movie, but the Crypt Keeper in the comics did not.
0: Right. None of them in the comics looked like what we had on the HBO show. No,
4: no, not, at, not at all. But, yeah, but he proceeds to, to, uh, tell them each, or show them each, a story about themselves. And the wraparound comes full circle. At the end, you you realize that each of these characters is, in fact, uh, they all die in their story, and each of them are, in fact, dead. And this is the Crypt Keeper saying, okay, now you can go on to your just rewards.
0: That's straight out of the Dr. Terrorist playbook, which is pretty much the same setup, right?
4: Uh-huh. It is, except they're on a train, and they it's it's a very simple setup
0: just to kind of, you know, get your characters together. But it, but it works. It totally works. It's a great setup. And that, I think when it comes to these types of anthologies, especially Amicus, that's what you've come to expect. Yeah. But Amicus never makes it boring, even though they've done it a couple of times. It's always an interesting setup, and it's always with some great... Again, I'm going to go back to the production design. I love the crypt setup, and I love the guy they have playing the crypt keeper, Ralph Richardson, who, if you look at some of his filmography... He doesn't seem, at least to me, so foreboding as he does as in Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. He seems like somebody who would, and I don't know if he did, play some of these kind of doddering old happy uncle, you know, type roles when you look at pictures of him. I don't expect him to tell me about how he died. (laughs) Yeah. You know, he's no Dr. Care, you know. He seems more comforting (laughs) until he starts telling you what's happening, and then you're like, oh, wait a minute.
4: (laughs) True. It's true. He's great. And so... um We go through the the different stories. The first one's the the Christmas one. And then this reflection of death that we were talking about before is the second one. And it's kind of cool. Each of these characters in these stories, their morality plays are comeuppances. all of them. They've all done something bad. I'm not so sure that that this guy deserves to burn in hell for what he's done. He's just basically cheated on his wife or left his wife and kids. All the others, you know, some of them more so than others are, are more deserving. But I'm like, well... All he did was was Liana.
0: I don't know. But and anyway. I want to come back to that because I felt like in the fourth segment, the victim, what did he do wrong? It was really his wife that did something kind of off.
4: So. Right. But they, they do intimate at something. So we'll, we'll get to that. Though. Yeah,
0: we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. we'll you're right. It's a zombie thing. You know, it's him walking around. And I love the POV. Mm-hmm. Shot, the way it was shot. It's very first person. A lot of people say they get motion sick now when they watch a movie like this in the theater. It wasn't done that way. It was kind of restrained, and I loved it. And I love the time travel. Well, not really time travel. Listeners, you can hear my cat smoke in the background. He's very excited about this movie. <laughs> I'm going to stop <laughs> and edit him out because, you know, it's my boy. Anyway, I like the time loop part of it. I like that yeah. element of this as well. I'm a big fan of of messing with the timeline when it comes to any kind of film, really. Well, he's just stuck in that never ending nightmare. He
4: um, he leaves his wife. He goes, and gets with his mistress, and they're driving together to leave. You know, to go start their new life together. And the car wrecks, and he wakes from the burning wreckage. And his first person point of view as he stumbles and finds his way back home, it's just this recurring nightmare where he just continues he, to wake back up in the car, and then the, the car crashes. The whole thing happens over and over. It's just that that kind of story.
0: I did like that, and even though before he gets to the mistress character to try to find out what's going on, the wife is freaked out, and a few people along the side of the road are freaked out. When he gets to the mistress character, you know something's off, but then as soon as she starts referring to somebody named Carl, even though he's Carl, to me that was the moment was like, oh, wait, something's really wrong here, (laughs) because that's Carl. Why would she refer to somebody else named Carl? Oh, she's blind. Right, Something happened in the accident of the blinder. That's, wow, okay. Very interesting. I I, I like that a lot.
4: Yeah. yeah. Very was, well done. Again, it was, it's
0: yeah. a short little story, but they didn't hold back on unpacking it with as much oomph. Amicus knew what they were doing. Yeah, absolutely. The third segment is where we had Peter Cushing. You now, he's not one of the characters that is in the crypt. He's a character that somebody in the crypt did something to.
4: Right. So you get this snotty, rich guy actors named Robin Phillips, his character's name James Elliott, who lives with his dad across the street from this old man, uh, which is Peter Cushing's character's Arthur Grimstyke. He's just a beloved character in the neighborhood, he's friends with kids. They all come there for handouts and he plays games with them. He gives them little toys and treats. he has a house full of dogs, good man. And takes care of them. And um the neighbors across the street just it just it's just burning him up. He's like this old man over there i'm sure his house is filthy i can't believe it so he just goes on this absolute crusade to just bury this guy and they want to buy his property
0: no they want to buy him out they're tired of looking at the house they want to buy the property and and the things they do to just dishearten the guy and discredit the guy mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that the kids stopped coming around but really what really gets me with the dogs I mean, you heard yeah. the cat in the background. I, I am a pet lover. I'm an animal lover, and they don't do anything bad to the dogs on screen or anything like that. It might be implied maybe they're going to the pound, but just you don't take an old man's dogs away from him. You just don't, <laughs> especially if that right. old man is Peter Cushing because he's going to get you.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so they 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 meet with the parents in the neighborhood and tell them you oh, you don't, don't want to let your kids play with him anymore. So they all instruct the kids not to they tell the pound that his dogs are, are running loose and, and, and haven't had their shots or whatever. And they come and they take all of his dogs away. And just one thing after another until finally, and this was kind of cool that there's two uh, holidays in this movie, but finally on va- on Valentine's Day, they wind up writing just a stack of, of just absolutely nasty Valentines and send them to him through the mail. And uh, it just absolutely is the final straw this guy has. His wife has died recently and he's holding seances to try to talk to his dead wife. And now his friends, his dogs are gone and, and the kids don't come around anymore. And then finally the uh, Valentine cards telling him, I wish you were dead. You should kill yourself. That kind of stuff. It's just actually the final straw. And, and he does, he hangs himself. And so, uh, the, uh, come up and s- happens. It, I think it's a year later, right? I think so. It, he, uh, comes back from the dead and and visits the visits the young uh the young snotty rich guy across the street and this is is interesting on multiple points because you got not not just the the cruel guy getting his his comeuppance but also you kind of got some class warfare thing here you know with rich versus poor and it's a really cool story for a number of reasons but anyway he he visits the shambling dead my very favorite of any of horror. Theme, you know, the, got your shambling dead comes back, and the makeup for Cushing in this is
0: fantastic. Fans of some of the earlier Hammer fifties Hammer specifically mm-hmm. recognize this guy's work. Roy Ashton, what a genius when it came to makeup and underrated on this side of the pond, I think. Mm-hmm. When you think about classic makeup, I mean, obviously, you think of Jack Pierce, and you think about some of the other guys more recently, but Roy Ashton just knocked it out. With a lot of the hammer stuff and a lot of the amicus stuff. And this is a genius design. It just looks good. Of course, Cushing's face already has, has the amazing cheekbones. Oh
4: yeah. So yeah. He's that got the
0: skull you can play off of, but
4: man, so good. Mm-hmm. His features definitely were perfect for this. And, and the blacked out eyes, which I've read before was Cushing's idea. Of, I don't know if that's true or not to uh, sort of black the eyes out with a mesh. It looks great. And, um, the, the punch line on this one is awesome.
0: (laughs) So this movie, as it's going along, for a bit there, it seems to escalate in terms of its graphicness. We're in the early 70s, so you're starting to see more and more blood, you're starting to see more and more gore. Now, the first two segments of this, yeah, you've got that zombie walking around in the second segment, but it's not overly graphic. Per se, it's a pretty dry zombie makeup. And Grimstike is a pretty dry zombie makeup, although it's very cool. Then you get a heart. (laughs) (laughs) Just hanging out. We're like, wow, that's he rips
4: cool. the guy's heart out. And, yeah. What is it? Mean and nasty right from the start. Now you have no. And he has his actual heart laying, still beating on the
0: paper. Yeah, you hear the thud, thum. It's like, oh man, that's crazy. You see it moving. I think the blood in this, the color of the blood's a little off, but that was one of those things that. Was it bright? Too red? I thought it was. Yeah. You know, it looked kind of melted crayonny. It didn't look very bloody. I like. I kind
4: of like that I in the older too. movies. You know that it's so red because I mean, obviously, what you're watching is silly and and but it just. Wait, yeah.
0: wait Are you saying it's not <laughs> real? This didn't really happen.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I
0: like that. I, I really like that. Red Hammer
4: did that a lot too.
0: Oh yeah, the opening credits from Dracula when the blood splatters down the the crypt, the front of the the placard that says Dracula. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It, it's not realistic looking blood, and these days, you know, they would do it totally differently, but it's part of the aesthetic, right? Yeah,
4: yeah, I mean, absolutely. And all of these stories were taken straight from EC Comics. This one, The Poetic Justice, was Han of Fear. Reflection of Death was from Tales of the Crypt. Uh, the first one is from Vault of Horror. So, I mean, they were pulling these straight, straight from and adapting them straight from the EC Comics, which is really cool.
0: They all came from different comic books. They didn't all come from the Tales of the Crypt, but they're all part of the EC line. And yeah. really, if you go back and you read the EC comics, the Tales from the Crypt, the Haunt of Fear and all these, they could have all been just one title. I mean, they all are the same kind of theme. Oh yeah, well, like, when you read Tales
4: from the Crypt, the Crypt Keeper's not the only one in there. They're all in each of the books. It fits.
0: Yep. Agreed. So the fourth segment is the one that I was kind of referring to earlier, where I didn't feel like this guy deserved what happened to him.
4: Right, the monkey's paw. It's, it's basically the monkey's paw. Really um, the, although they use a statue in place of the paw in this, and it grants wishes. They infer at the beginning that he was a gun runner. Or she straight, straight up says, You got this when you were in what was she saying, China or somewhere running guns, and then she stops herself.
0: It's just real brief. And the way they kind of presented it, it almost feels as if his quote unquote sin is really just going bankrupt than anything else. No, I think that they were what they were
4: getting at was that his gun running caused a lot of unne- unnecessary
0: deaths, okay.
4: and because of that, you know sure. that that was the worst thing he had ever done was run illegal guns, and maybe he was supplying really nasty people with guns who murdered a lot of kids and innocent people. That's kind of where i okay. think we're going.
0: you know, unlike the other stories. You don't actually see any of the other people die per se.
4: Mm-hmm. Whereas
0: this one, yeah, you see his corpse.
4: Just before we move on, the lawyer also says, "You know, you've done a really lot of bad things." He said, "Well, I had to because no one has to." He said, "No, I did." So I mean, he is—they're saying they're setting it up that he's a really bad guy. Okay. They just don't show it. Uh, Yeah, you definitely see this guy, um, his corpse.
0: And this guy is Richard Green, who has appeared in a film, at least one other film that I'm aware of, with Peter Cushing in the past. This guy played Robin Hood in Sword of Sherwood Forest, in which Peter Cushing played the Sheriff of Nottingham.
4: Interesting. Okay, that's cool. Have you seen Sword of Sherwood Forest? No.
0: Oh, Peter Cushing is my, hands down, Sheriff of Nottingham. He's great. He's such a villainous bastard in that. It's awesome. <laughs> and Richard Green played Robin Hood for years on television, and he did this film. Sword of Sherwood Forest is a Hammer film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they don't have any scenes together in this movie, but to see him interact, go and check that one out.
4: I like Cushing as a villain.
0: No, oh, Cushing's right greatest a villain.
4: Grand Moff Tarkin.
0: Yep. This one does have a moment of graphicness in it. That, mm-hmm. from what I understand, was originally cut for theatrical release and then re-added later. I'd originally seen it you know, when I rented in on video back in the eighties, it wasn't in
4: there, but then new Blu-ray copy that my editor bought for me. <laughs> I got to w- finally see it back in place. And I was like, whoa, you see these squirming intestines and like yeah. that's, and it's so brightly lit and it almost looks out of place because I'm used to not seeing it there. Kind of a real stark. I was just, whoa, yeah, you it know, just kind of jumped sure. out at
0: me. Well, that happened and it's just, yeah. I was like, you know, what? Did I really see that? I actually backed up to see, did I really just see that? Yeah. Because you don't expect that to come out of there. It's not exploitive. It's just for a second, right? Yeah. It's just Right.
4: Moment. Right. A couple seconds of it. But, yeah, the, the story follows the monkey's pile pretty close. They they wish for money. In this, they don't have a son that dies. It's the main character. Uh, his lawyer calls him and says, I need to see you in the office. And on his way there, death falls behind him on a motorcycle. And then you learn that he had a car rash crash and died there's a real moment of, of illogic in this that doesn't make a bit of sense okay. at the end she wishes him back to life she says, i wish him i wish him back alive the way he was the moment before his death right and that's the way it, in the way she phrases it the moment before he died
0: but before, his, before the crash the right so he killed him it was a hard so
4: why would he still be embalmed i mean the reason he's screaming in pain
0: when they bring him back after that, yeah. It's because he had already been
4: embalmed. But if she wished him back alive at the moment before he died, the way he was right before he died, he wouldn't be embalmed already. So it just doesn't make any sense. It's like, yeah, hey, okay, just, just roll with it. <laughs> and, and
0: of course she had to say, And I want him to live forever. I want him to be here forever. So he's forever <laughs> stuck in this situation. And um, she tries to put him out of her.
4: his misery. She grabs a sword off the wall and cuts him into pieces. But...
0: You know, I don't have enough swords on my walls. I think I need to get
4: some. The uh, Yes, you do. <laughs> me either. I, was, I was just watched Gremlins recently, and they had a sword on the wall there, too. You yeah. never know when you're going to need that. I need one. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is the statue says in the inscription at the bottom that it gives its owner three wishes. Well, why didn't you just give the statue to the – or even sell it to the lawyer? Say, buy it from for a dollar. Okay, it's yours. Now, use your new three wishes, and let's take care of this situation. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of gotta just enjoy it for what it is. It's fun. I love it. I love the idea of the of him still being embalmed and and riding in pain, and you
0: can't die. But
4: they should have just thought that through a little better.
0: There's a little. There's a fix. Well, this yeah. is pretty much the most on the nose of all of them. They, you said it's the monkey's paw, and they say over and over and over again, "Hey, this is just like that story, the monkey's paw." So they telegraph exactly what's. Mm-hmm.
4: Going Mm-hmm.
0: which I, which I like that they reference that sure. because otherwise
4: you know it's too it is too on the nose
0: yeah now the fifth segment <laughs> this guy definitely got what he deserved oh what a bastard this this is great I love this story yeah, it's called blind alleys, and apparently in the u k in the seventies they had homes for blind people <laughs> yeah they, they, they took all the blind men and put them in a place bl- and they're all men. <laughs> put, put all the blind people in, in one place and have one guy with a with sight run the place. And they're all older, almost yeah, all of them are elderly. It, you know,
4: probably be handled a, little different, a little different today, but, you know. At a home for the blind, and this guy has a militaristic background and gets named the, the new head of the, the home for the blind. And so he's going to start running it like the military. Well, we're going to cut back on rations, and we're going to cut the heat off at night, and you will be in bed at oh. Whatever time, oh, you know, thirteen hundred hours, and blah blah blah, you can't blah. See anyway, why are you even up? Yeah, what are you? What are you? What are you you're not gonna miss anything. Go to
7: bed. You're insured.
4: <laughs> yeah, he's a he really is. Meanwhile, he's starving these guys, cutting their rations back to almost nothing. But he's eating lavishly and feeding his dog better than he does. When he has this giant German Shepherd dog named Shane, and he's feeding the dog better than he does the the men who. Come in to see him, and they they can smell the food, and they hear the dog. They know what's exactly you're you're not treating us as well as you do your
0: own dog. What are you, what's going on here? You know. Well, he tries to justify it just briefly. It's like, well, I'm the superintendent. Like in the military, I'm the general, and I get everything because I'm the general, and you're or I like guess the major in this case. And you you know you believe me. What I liked hear, you talk about the dog. He's treating the, the dog better. They're freezing. They want more blankets, but there are no more blankets to give. But later on in the story. He tells his dog to go lay down on the dog's blanket. So there are yeah. the blankets, but he's giving it to his dog. Uh-huh. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah.
4: He's he's a real jerk. There's no doubt about it. They but he gets his, once again, come up and send. they really get him back great. They build this elaborate uh elaborate maze. They they trap the dog <laughs> <laughs> get the dog out, they lure him with, with meat that they save from their dinner, and they, they tra- lure the dog down into the basement and lock it in a room, and then all of them manhandle the guy and lock him in a separate room while they build this elaborate maze out of wood and wire. And razor blades. <laughs> Spend two days doing it, and then the final alleyway between where the dog is and, what is it, Sergeant? Major. Isn't it Major? Yeah, major. major is. Is this thin... Walkway with razor blades on either side of the, of the wall, on either wall. Well,
0: I'll tell you so it's like one or two razor blades. Are there, are there a good, I mean, it's lined. Oh, yeah, yeah, hundreds of razor blades. Even if you're being careful, you're going to get cut. Yeah, it's iconic.
4: And, uh, the dog, meanwhile, has been, has been starved and is going crazy. He, he makes his way to the dog's door. They open it. The dog lunges, and just charges at him, ravenous. And then he turns to run. He has to go back through the razor blade hallway, which, and then they cut the lights off.
0: And they make him blind effectively. And it's really good. Even the fact that it took him like two days to make this contraption. On the one hand, you're thinking, okay, well, they're blind. Of course, it's going to take him a while to do it. But then you start thinking, that means this guy's been sitting here in anticipation for two days, wondering just what are they doing out there and what are they going to do to me? So it works on a couple of different levels. And again, it, has, it goes to the smart storytelling and the filmmaking that Amicus had at their hand at their disposal. With these films, I mean, it's a very smart segment in the hallway. Man, that's terrible. That, That's like Dr. Fives type stuff. That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I, I love this segment. I really, do. This
4: one, the Peter Cushing segment, and the first segment are are the three strongest
0: ones. So I want to go to the first segment, but first I want to talk a little bit more about the wraparound real quick. So there's something that I didn't mention at the beginning of this. There's a moment when they all walk into that room, the, the antechamber, wherever it is they're going to sit down and listen to the stories. And there's a shot in here that made me think of Sam Raimi. Hmm. If you look at, and I don't know if it's in Army of Darkness, but I know they do it in The Evil Dead and probably Evil Dead 2. There are a couple scenes where Ash will walk into a basement, turn to look around the room, and then the camera does this like 360 around the entire room and then comes back and settles back on him. Right. When the characters in this movie walk into that room, the same thing happens. Mm-hmm. And, and I I know Sam – we call him Sam because I'm on a first-name basis with him, apparently. I know Sam Raimi <laughs> uh, read a lot of comic books growing up, so I'm wondering if he had this in his background or in his mind or whatever when he put that shot together from The Evil Dead, because it's such, to me, an iconic shot from those films. And then to see it in Tales from the Crypt, I'm wondering if that was intentional or I'm just reading into it.
4: I very much could have been influential to him. that that make total sense. He, he surely would have seen that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. sure. Yeah. Know, the first segment, the only woman in the bunch, Joan Collins. hmm I think people forget how good of an actress she is. I mean, you think about Joan Collins now, you think about the writing, you think about Dynasty, but I think people forget that she has done some solid film work.
4: Oh, place. yeah. And they also forget how absolutely smoking hot she was back then.
0: <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to go
4: there. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I say it every time we talk about this segment, but she was gorgeous. And, oh, man, she plays this role perfectly. I mean, she's perfectly cast for the rich widow. And no, I assume to be widow, the rich wife. Who, who,
0: yeah. I want to be widow. Widow in training. <laughs> yeah.
4: This story is... uh woman who kills her husband because she wants his insurance money. It's plain and simple. On Christmas Eve while their daughter is upstairs in bed.
0: Yeah, so she's, she's not a good person.
4: No, not at all. <laughs> I love the shot where he pulls the newspaper up in front of his head and you hear the whack and the blood sprays onto the newspaper in front of him and soaks it red. And then he falls over and she's holding the... the sound
0: design. Oh, the sound. Just the sound.
4: Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great. It is great. And then she's holding the poker. She's killed him with the poker from the fireplace. This was remade for Tales from the Crypt, the TV series, like we mentioned before. Early
0: early in the run, like season one, wasn't it? Yeah, it's the
4: second episode. Wow. And it's very similar, but they kind of add some things and make it make it a little bit more complex for the TV series to kind of stretch it out. and, And it's a really good version also. I don't know which I prefer. This one follows the comic book exactly, almost panel for panel in places. But I, I like both versions, I really do, pretty much equally.
0: These days, just because of who I've become over the years and the kind of movies that I like to watch and the kind of media I like to consume, I think I prefer this version more. And I think it has more to do with the sound design. of, Like you said, that one moment, it's just so good. Yeah. With the newspaper, it's just solid. And I feel like with the TV show, especially earlier seasons, they were very visceral. Mm-hmm. Very, let's see it all, let's all splatter. Which, oh, yeah. The poker in really well. the in, yeah. the second, in the second, in the TV series, the
4: poker embeds into his head and he falls forward with it stuck into, into his skull, you know, and she has to
0: struggle to pull it out. I mean, yeah, it's pretty much about that. So. I'm going to sideline again about the Tales from the Crypt TV show. I mentioned how bloody it was, especially at the beginning. So I loved that show when it first came out. It was, it was destination TV for me. I had to be watching it live when it came out. I didn't tape it. I should have. I didn't tape it, but I watched it when it came out. And my mother wanted to know why I was so excited about watching this show. And I've talked with my mother here on the show, talked about my mother here on the show in the past. She wasn't really big into a lot of this stuff. She didn't say no, you can't watch it when I was finally old enough to watch it, but it wasn't her thing. She decides she's going to sit down and watch an episode of Tales from the Crypt with me just to see what it's like. And the episode I forget the title, but it's about a haunted house, and Martin Downey Jr. is in it. Yeah, and um, it's the episode where he takes a chainsaw to the stomach before being thrown out of a window and hung <laughs> from a noose great way to introduce my mother to Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> well, did she make you stop watching it? Uh, no, but she never watched it again.
4: Well, that's well to her credit, at least she lets you continue. My parents would have been like, eh, nope, we're done, cut the TV off, and that would have been the end of
7: it. Yeah. Anyway.
4: I never saw these in their original room because I never had cable back then. But I don't know, what's this, 90s? Early 90s? Late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Right, yeah. Just didn't have it cable at that point and just didn't get to see it and i didn't have hbo at any point at any rate so i never had hbo i still don't have hbo but it's a great it was a great series i I oh, yeah. love it so so many i wish someone would start showing it showing it again actually i wish that me tv or somebody would pick it up and run it
0: you know it almost feels like it'd be a good fit for comet tv actually I wish I got Comet too. I don't get Comet. guess oh, yeah, so it would have to be me. T V so Larry could watch it.
4: Then. I know it's on uh, antenna. I know through if you put antennas on, you can get it for free here, Comet. But yeah. I can't pick anything up, so I think anybody cares about that. But
3: <laughs>
0: anyway, yeah, <laughs> back to this one. Um, I, I do prefer this storytelling version of it, just because of who mm-hmm. these days. Yeah, sure, it's Joan Col- I think Joan Collins is fantastic. She's in one of my absolute favorite Hammer films of all time, called Fear in the Night, again with Peter Cushing. Mm-hmm. I need to see that. Oh, it's so good. It is so good. It's not a gothic film, but, man, I could go off on that for a while. I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) stop. She's great in this. And uh, maybe the the little kid's kind of annoying, but a lot of 70s horror movie kids were kind of annoying. In this movie? Yeah.
4: In the Tales from the Crypt?
0: Yeah, in the movie. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, it's Chloe Franks, who we discussed and when we did The Uncanny a few weeks ago. It's the same girl. And uh, she was also in uh, The House of Drip Blood, opposite Christopher Lee in that movie, which is cool. She she kills Christopher Lee in that movie, and uh, ultimately kills Joan Collins in this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> He's responsible for it, sure, sure.
4: Yeah, I like her in this movie. I thought she was I thought she was really cute.
0: I thought she was great when she was on screen. It's just hearing her voice in the be- when she's just her voice. Mommy, Mommy. It's like, oh, come on. And she's still around. I tried to look her up. She's
4: oh, yeah? in Britain, and I couldn't find any kind of contact information. I thought she would be great to talk to just to say, hey, tell me what it was like working with, with Christopher Lee. Did you interact with Cushing any? You know, what, you were a kid at the time. What do you think about doing these movies? She'd be interesting to talk to. I'd like to track her down.
0: Well, I'm sure she's listening. So, you know, <laughs> Chloe Franks, <laughs> give us a. <second> no. <laughs>
4: But yeah, it's, uh, Christmas Eve and, and, uh, her dad gets murdered by her mother. So the Joan Collins character, which
0: is named Joanne in this,
4: she has this all planned out. She, she kills him and then she gets the, the insurance papers out of the safe, right? Yeah.
0: At one point, the daughter's, what's that? Oh, it's a Christmas card from daddy. Oh, that was great.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nothing. This is a card from your daddy to make it even, to even show. Even further, how cold-hearted she is. He has it opens up with her husband, who is played by a guy named Martin Bodie, older husband, giving her a present to show her how much he loves her. A special present with a card on it that that shows how much he loves her, and it's a brooch which we we see reference later uh, earlier in in the film. Also, when her character is coming through the crypt, oh, it's, a, it's the same brooch, isn't it? The same brooch. She oh, dropped. They nice. they make very very intent they focus on it very much and make a deal out of. Oh, I dropped my brooch and it's the same brooch. Uh, there you it's, go. But it's Christmas eve and a homicidal maniac we hear on the radio. A homicidal maniac has escaped and has gotten a has stolen a, a Santa suit from a local store basically. So, beware, you know. And of course he makes his way to her house. Sure. She's disposing of the body down in the basement, and the Santa shows up, and he's, man, such an iconic shot of him peering in through the window, and she ducks down, and
0: hiding underneath the window. Oh, and so it's so creepy. Him. So creepy. It
4: is really good.
0: That outfit that he's wearing, and just have the blank, yeah. oh, the blank look in his eyes.
4: hmm Yeah. Totally creepy. He's trying to get in, and she's locking all the windows and doors and, and all that, and meanwhile, the little girl spots Santa out the window, so... <laughs> <laughs> while she's down, she throws her husband down in, into the basement to make it look like an accident.
0: Her, her daughter, she, before we move on, to make it look like an accident, she scoops up some of his blood from upstairs into a glass, champagne glass, brings it downstairs, and <laughs> dribbles it around his head and all that to make it look like he fell down the stairs and hit his head. That was, wow. <laughs> Pretty cold.
4: And then goes back up and rinses out the,
0: the glass. The Freddie Francis, of course, lingers on the sink with the bloody hands and the soap going down the drain.
2: hmm. Great.
0: It is great. But she realizes her, her daughter, she runs upstairs, she hears
4: something and runs up to check on her daughter. And she's not there. She's scared as she's coming back down. You hear, Mommy, I saw Santa. I let, I let him in. There he is. He's finally gotten inside the house and we end with, with him. Lunging at her and chugging her, she runs back to the fire I love the, the callback. She runs back to her to the fireplace to grab the poker again. Yes. To defend herself, but he's Santa's quicker and chokes her out, which of course you know he probably does the same thing to the little girl afterwards. But we don't go there. Oh man. But it's a great episode and really this this episode in particular was really influential on what has has boomed the whole sub sub genre of Santa Killers. Because this was really the first and this thing influenced all of your later ones. Black Christmas came after this, which not Santa Claus, but it's the Christmas Killer. But Silent Light, Deadly Night and and All Through the House and all the Santa Killer movies that came later all are a callback to this. This was it. And really the influence the, I guess you should say that the EC comic, the uh, the Vault of Horror that had the original and and Out Through the Houses, the original granddaddy of all the Santa Slayer tales to come.
0: And, and you would know because you've been doing this YouTube series. Tell me a little bit about that because this episode is going out before Christmas, so people can still go check it out. They're in the Christmas spirit. Sure, I just wanted to do a Christmas countdown of
4: of Christmas themed horror movies. So I did a, a 13 days of Christmas horror countdown and just spotlight 13 Christmas horror movies. You know, when I first started, started, I knew there were several, but I didn't realize how many there were. I mean, I've got, I've got a list of 40 or 50. I, I don't know I exactly how many there are. And I know there's a lot more that aren't on the list of Christmas themed horror movies. And a number of them have Santa killers in them. That's the go-to. I mean, you've got
0: Five, not that they're all Santa, but five Silent Night, Deadly Nights alone. Yeah, it's called 13 Days of Christmas Horror. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, but it's real easy to find on YouTube. Just look up Dr. Gain Green's channel. And yeah, uh, there have been so many killer Santa things in these stories and movies. Uh, you saw it in one season of American Horror Story. It's a thing. I mean, it's an iconic thing now when it comes to horror and Christmas. I feel like us horror fans... You know, we have our go-tos and, and like you said there's a good number of these christmas stories that that are scary or spooky or whatever and, and you're covering a few of them here uh, you said silent night deadly night there's silent night bloody night that you can find in a bunch of the mill creek entertainment sets
4: that there's one's so yeah that one's not got any kind of santa callback in it, no, um, it but it's still i actually covered that one this year i like it mary warren stars in it
0: yep and it's got great music.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Good good music Good stuff. And this movie, I am so glad that we decided to do this. I've been scrambling. When we first started Monster Kid Radio, the first two Christmases I had Scott Morris on because we were gonna do you know Santa Claus Cockroach Martians and then just that Mexican Santa Claus movie. Mm-hmm. like what, what are we gonna do next? You know, there's no more Santa stuff. Oh wait a minute. Here we go. Let's make this happen. And I'm gonna revisit it again for Valentine's Day. Well who knows, maybe. <laughs>
4: <laughs> there you go. It's a great movie. It's one that you don't hear talked about so much nowadays, you know, mostly the the current anthologies are getting the most attention and it makes the most sense. I watched a really good one that came out this year called Southbound that was interesting. That's sort of a really hot, the, the new hot thing, but I think more because it's just cheaper and easier to make short films and then tie them all together, you know.
0: Well, you're starting to see more anthologies now with multiple directors, and I think the thing about the Amicus films is always one—it's typically just one guy. Yeah, Francis directed all of these. Whereas you have—you mentioned the ABCs of Death, or you know some of these other ones. Even Trick or Treat more of the segments directed by different people. I could be wrong there. Listeners still hold me to. That. I don't. I don't think so. Okay, so
4: I'm wrong okay. there, but. <laughs> but some of the other ones, like the VHS, there are different directors.
0: Right. Right. So you have just one guy kind of wrapping his head around. Five different stories, plus a wrap around all the interstitials. Mm-hmm. So they
4: all feel the same. They're all shot, you know, absolutely the same way on 35, you know, the same aspect ratio and all that good stuff. So they all actually look the same. They're scored by the same person. It feels like a film, you know, as as opposed to just a series of shorts shoveled together.
0: Who did the music on this? I, I didn't recognize it. Douglas Gamley or Gamley. I, I don't know much about him, but it looks like he's a, an Amicus guy. Okay. Asylum and- Oh, City of the Dead, which is one of my favorite Amicus films.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
0: not an anthology, but I love it.
4: Yeah, I love that movie, and it's just so good. If, if, if people haven't seen that one, that's, that's one that's well worth tracking down. Yeah,
0: I had an opportunity to introduce that at an H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival a couple years back. So good.
4: Mm, nice.
0: This was actually one of, That was actually one of the very first, if not the first, Amicus film. Yeah, they weren't actually Amicus yet. Yeah, it was the same people, but yeah.
4: Yeah, same people put it together.
0: Pretty darn close.
4: I, I consider it an amicus, even yeah. though it's not.
0: Well, it has to feel but, it. has to feel yeah. an
4: mm-hmm. Glad to uh, introduce or get you to watching more amicus films. I know when we first started talking, you hadn't seen many. I was like, man. Just, I'm
0: not aware of them, and I still want to know more about it. Like, you know, after doing Down Place for so long and knowing these Hammer films, I, I feel like I have a good grasp on a lot of Hammer. Yeah. But I don't have a good grasp on amicus, and I, I've always wondered – you know, what the relationship was between Amicus and Hammer. Did they have a relationship? Do they have an animosity toward each other? Because they did use each other's talent quite a bit. Not just in front of the camera, but behind the camera, too, like with Freddie Francis or Roy Ashton. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of these people. And, I, and I've tried to ask around, and, and nobody nobody really seems to think there was a lot of any animosity, but I don't know.
4: I don't know either. I'm not sure.
0: I mean, they were doing two different things at this point. Mostly anthologies, and Hammer didn't really do that. But
4: I do know... Uh that they that they certainly did a good job with these anthologies. And, yeah, they did.
0: Of the anthology films, Dr. Horror, I think, so far, is my favorite that I've seen so far, and I think that's because of Cushing's wrap-around segment.
4: Yeah. But this it's, one's
0: pretty high up there. This one's really
4: mm-hmm. Yeah, this one's good. I think Vault of Horror gets a little bit of a bad rap. People say, oh, it's not too good, but the stories in there, are. are I really like them.
0: That's 73, uh, isn't it? Yes,
4: yeah, so it's just one year after this one. I think it's pretty good. I really like it. Those two, and, and The House of Drip Blood is solid also. Love House of Drip Blood. Well,
0: like I said, I like Asylum quite a bit. Like Asylum quite mm-hmm. a bit. Robert Block wrote most of that, if not all of it. Really mm-hmm. a lot.
4: You get some Donald Pleasance in that.
0: I don't know if I've seen Vault of Horror.
4: Definitely should watch that. The Vault, the Vault is definitely worth watching.
0: I think we just figured out what movie we're going to talk about next on Monster Kid Radio, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good. Does that have like any holiday ties, or do I, do I need to time it right, or we just do it? Don't, okay? don't think so. But. All right, all right. Well, we'll definitely do that. But, of course, you and I keep in touch off, Mike. But if listeners want to keep in touch with you, they need to go to your YouTube channel. I mean, you're still begging it out of the park. Man. You, you are just an inspiration when it comes to YouTube. I want to do YouTube stuff. and Every time I consider it, I look at you and what you've done. and It's like, okay, if he can do it and make it look as fun as it is, I, I, I've got to do it. It is
4: fun. I'm, uh, once the holidays are over, I'm going to get back to my, my Vincent Price series and get that wrapped up. Gotten up into the 1970s on that now.
0: That is still going. That is so great.
4: And it's still going because I'm dragging
0: my feet. Well, you know, take break for Christmas. You're doing the 13 Days of Christmas War. Yeah. And you just don't want Vincent Price to end. I mean, that's that's the real thing, right? I think
4: that's, what it, that's yeah. what it is. That's <laughs> what it is. I was at Wonderfest last year, and we or two years ago, we had both Sarah Karloff and, and Victoria Price were there. And uh, someone was like, well, now you got to do Karloff. And I was like, oh, Lord. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I don't know
4: that guy. I'll be alive long enough to go through all the Karloff movies. Whoa, yeah. that would he, take a while.
0: Yeah, I mean, he goes
4: it's taking me back. three years. It's going to take three years by the time I'm done to have finished up these price ones. Plan on another five for Carloff. I don't think I have it in me.
0: I'm liking the price stuff. So, I mean, if 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 that's all you give us, it's more than enough.
4: So that's a lot of fun. I'm um had had a lot of fun doing these Christmas ones. And like I said, it's there's so many of them. I have plenty to choose from for next year. And I also covered some short films, stuff like Black Santa's Revenge with Ken Foray and.
0: Oh, man, that one's a trip. Listeners, if you haven't seen Black Santa's Revenge, now it is completely outside of the MKR wheelhouse, completely. Oh, yeah. Like like you said, Ken Forey, and it's kind of an exploitation Santa Claus story. With a lot of Christmas spirit. With a lot of Christmas spirit. Why do you have to be the kids, man? I mean, it's so (laughs) so good.
4: It's a very simple story. It's based on a comic book. The comic book creator himself actually made the movie
0: yep. so david walker and uh, he's actually local to me he's up here in the portland area cool he's, he's writing for marvel comics now
4: well good job david yep. it, i gave you a good plug and a link back to your website where people can buy it in my video i put the link down at the bottom straight to his website so people can go and download it from him and i think he may have dvd copies too very cool little story.
0: All right, so we mentioned the YouTube channel com is where you've got everything going on. You've, you're on Facebook. You on Twitter? Yeah. All, all right.
4: Not as active there as I probably should be, but but I'm, I'm there.
0: Well, we will be in touch. We'll have you on the show again in 2017. And before we wrap up, what's the one Christmas thing that Dr. Green does to keep himself in the monster mood during the holiday season?
4: Let's see. Dr. Green hangs his severed missile toes over the fireplace and keeps his Slay bells ringing late into
0: the night. You know, I didn't mention this with Larry when we were talking, but Tales from the Crypt, directed by Freddie Francis, today is his birthday. So this is not only timely because it's Christmas, but it was Mr. Francis' birthday as well. A happy accident. wasn't planned. com, Go check him out. And there is a link in the show notes for his 13 days of Christmas horror. Go check it out and let him know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. And I will have Larry on the show in the future for Vault of Horror
1: enter death's waiting room if you dare below the crypt lies the vault of horror a treasure chest of the makar madness voodoo Vampires, torture, and terror all the things that make life worth leaving.
3: That's how it is,
1: and how it always will be. The Vault of Horror.
8: From the author of Psycho comes the ultimate in sheer bone-chilling horror. The house that dripped blood, 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 blood. <coughs> Terror waits for you in every room in the house that dripped blood. Climb its creaking stairs. Walk down its dark and chilling corridors where untold horrors wait at every turn. The house that dripped blood. A madman lurking on the staircase. A severed head in the closet. Coffins in the cellar. Vampires, vixens, and victims. Find them all in The House That Drift Blood, in color from the Cinerama Releasing Corporation, rated GP, all ages, parental guidance.
3: Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. the screen has never before dared to depict. The terrifying horror of man killing vine with a human brain that creeps and kills. The terrifying horror of the dead entombed for 200 years that creeps its way back to terrorize the living. The terrifying horror of a dreaded man called Dr. Terror who, with his deck of mystic cards, could foretell destiny. Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. From outer space they came. With a dastardly plan to steal the minds of the youth. Only one person stands in their way in. Danny Johnson saves the world. Bazaar, terrifying monster. Whether you're in a cave or behind a million mountains, Santa Claus sees you through his master eye and invites you to his magic wonderland. See Santa Claus in his magic motion picture. Come past the doors of his towering castle into a fantastic crystal laboratory filled with weird and wonderful secrets. Into his heavenly workshop, the most marvelous toy factory of all. Watch his battle with a mischievous demon who wants to get children into trouble. You'd better watch out. You'll want to shout about the picture that won the Golden Gate Family Film Award. Everyone, everywhere, is waiting for the Kay Gordon Murray presentation, Santa Claus in Eastman Colorscope. Saturday and Sunday, matinee only, at a theater near you. I'll
0: put the call out on the podcast and on Facebook, asking listeners to call in how they incorporate monsters into their holiday celebrations. And I'm just going to play them all right now, not all at once, but one right after the other. Makes more sense that way. Here we go.
9: Hey, Derek, it's Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast, just calling in to tell you uh, what monster-related things uh, I do over Christmas, because you asked. Uh, actually, I don't really go in for a lot of the the Christmas themed horror movies. I don't know. I'm just I'm too much of a big softie about Christmas. I just I just love the whole thing too much. I love all the Rankin Bass Christmas specials and and all that type of stuff. I, Santa Claus with an axe just uh, just doesn't do it for me. Nothing against people to do. It just personally doesn't do it for me. But what I do love is a Christmas Carol. Just about all versions of it. And I think there's enough spooky goings-on in it that that ties into monster kiddom, especially the 1951 version of the film with Alistair Sim. That is my favorite. It's pretty much almost everybody's favorite. I know it's kind of the most lauded of all of them. But that one has some monster connections. you got Ernest Bessinger. He is – Dr. Pretorius himself is the undertaker in that movie. you got Miles Mallison in there as the pawn dealer. Uh he was in several of the Hammer movies, including Brides of Dracula. Uh he's in that movie. He was in Horror of Dracula as well as the Undertaker in that movie. So uh there's some connections there. Uh it's got a spooky atmosphere about it that I think kinda feels like a universal movie or maybe even a Val Luton movie. There's some there's some stuff going on in there that's that's uh just the mood and the atmosphere about it, uh is it's it's, it's uh, just very well done, atmospheric. And, uh, great performances all the way around. Also a big fan of the musical version from 1970 with Albert Finney. Uh, that doesn't really have any universal connections much, but it does have Alec Guinness. So if you're a Star Wars fan, there you go. Uh, so th- those are my two favorite versions that I like to watch. I have to make sure I watch them every year, but I like all versions of A Christmas Carol. And it is a Christmas ghost story, so I think it fits. Uh, also, uh, just, uh, if you guys haven't seen it, there's that great Apple commercial out right now that has Frankenstein in it, played by Brad Garrick from Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, oddly enough, his TV dad, Peter Boyle, played Frankenstein in Young Frankenstein, of course. Uh, that is a very heartwarming and touching commercial, and I just love it. I was so shocked when I saw it; I just couldn't believe what I was watching. But I hope you and yours have a great holiday season, Derek, and I hope all the listeners of Monster Kid Radio have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Festivus, whatever you celebrate, have a good one, and a Happy New Year. Bye. Hi, Derek, it's Alan Trump in St. Louis. Hope you're doing well today. As for what we're doing for Christmas, digging into the visiting with in-laws and other family friends, probably dig into the archives and watch a few kooky, spooky films from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. My best wishes to the whole Monster Kid Radio uh, family of listeners, to you and to Brenda. Happy Holidays to everyone, and as Zachary used to say, Season's greetings, whatever you are. Hey, have fun and be safe, everybody. Bye now.
10: Hey, Derek and monster kids everywhere. This is Jeff Owens from Classic Horrors Club. You asked how we bring monsters into the holiday season. Well, I hope to bring monsters into my holidays with my Amazon wish list. Uh, Through the year, I pretty much buy what I want. I I mean, if there's a new book or Blu-ray I just can't wait for, I try to squeeze it into the budget. But Christmas is for catch-up for those items that always get pushed further down the list because they're just a little too pricey or something else always seems to come out and take priority. These are the things I hope a family member will splurge on as a gift for me. And since I don't have your guidance this year, Derek, with Monster Kid Radio's list, here are a few things that I hope to receive. As I mentioned, very few are new, but they're all things I hope to one day own. Uh, for DVDs or Blu-ray, uh, the Black Christmas Collector's Edition from Scream Factory. I have been wanting to buy that so much, but like you said in an earlier episode, it's Christmas season I really should be buying for other people. I'm also interested in the Trail of Dracula DVD. Uh, I believe it's a 2013 documentary. I'm hoping for lots of clips of uh, Dracula, Bella Lugosi, Christopher Lee, as far as books go, uh, The Book of Joe about a dog and his man is actually a book written by Vincent Price. Uh, there's a new edition out. Uh, it sounds very good. Uh, Charlie the Choo-Choo is a children's book uh, related to the Dark Tower series. And it's written by somebody named Beryl Evans, who is really Stephen King. So I feel like I need that for my Stephen King library. I've always been fascinated by the phenomenon of remakes and uh, want to get back to talking about them on my blog this next year. So there's a couple books, uh, Remaking Horror, Hollywood's New Reliance on Scares of Old by James Francis Jr., and Making and Remaking Horror in the 1970s and 2000s, Why Don't They Do It Like They Used To by David Roach. Something I cannot believe I never got was Monster Mash, the creepy kooky monster craze in America, 1957 to 1972. Uh, if no one gives me that, I'm going to have to buy that one myself. Uh, as far as soundtracks, there's a couple older CDs I'd like to get. The soundtrack from the Planet of the Apes television series. And then there's apparently a CD that has the music from One Million Years B.C., When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth and Creatures the World Forgot altogether. And finally, Amok Time is offering a new action figure in their Monstars Series, It's It, the Terror from Beyond Space, a 3.75-inch scale retroaction figure, and I, of course, want that in its black-and-white version. So that's pretty much it. I think that's enough. I'd be thrilled to get get even one or two of these items, but uh, after Christmas... Uh, Luckily, I have to decide which items move on to my birthday list, because it falls only a couple of months later in February. But really, what I want everyone to know is that I I wish you all a wonderful holiday season. Uh, Becoming involved in the Monster Kid Radio community and getting to meet and know some of you this year has truly been a highlight for me in 2016.
2: Hello, Derek, and Merry Christmas. This is Dwight Kemper, Master of Mystery and author of Who Framed Boris Karloff, *The Lugosian, House of Doom, and a soon to be re-released, The Vampire's Tomb Mystery, by Midnight Marquee Press. The way I incorporate monsters into my holidays, frankly I just don't take down my Halloween decorations. And, on Christmas, of course, I watch *A Nightmare Before Christmas. So, oh, and of course, I must listen to Boris Karloff in How the Greech Stow Christmas. All the Who's down in Whoville like Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. But I do. So to you and your listeners, a very happy Christmas. And may all of your crimes be perfect ones. Goodbye.
5: Hey Derek, Steve Sullivan here. Just calling in because you asked if we have some holiday-related monster traditions. And I'm going to have to say, sadly, we don't, because usually my family is visiting us for the holidays, uh, and that includes my non-monster kid mom, who just has never gotten this or the fact that it's a huge part of how I make a living (laughs) or any of that kind of stuff. So inevitably, if I try to put on a monster movie, even like a classic old-time monster movie during the holiday period, at some point my mother will wander into the living room and settle into a chair, and she'll say what is this horrible thing we're watching? And that pretty much is the end of the monster movie at that point. (laughs) Because the last thing you want to do is fight with your mom on Christmas, right? So, yeah, usually we're pretty monster-free from a week before Christmas until just after New Year's. Unless I stay up really late at night and watch a monster movie, which I have been known to do. The only other exception is, of course, we can sneak in the classic Rankin Bass or other holiday things But the Rankin Bass are the ones that tend to have Some kind of monstery thing in them Whether it's the Winter Wizard Or famously the Bumble Snowman of the North So a lot of times that's what I have to settle for For the couple of weeks around Christmas I hope uh, no other people have this terrible quandary I find myself in at this time of year And everyone else has a, a wonderful and monster-filled New Year I am working hard on Cushing Horrors, CushingHorrors.com and people that want to read Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors can do so online and if you pledge to my Patreon you can get it in the mail and get it in advance and I'm even doing a special Christmas time tie-in for Bill Willingham's Patreon as well. So with any luck that should be out before the end of the, the year. It's a little prelude to Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors so, there's all that monster stuff that I get to do, but I I just don't get to watch monsters a lot at at Christmas. Uh, Anyway, the rest of you have a monstrously good Christmas, and maybe I'll call in with some actual show comments sometime soon, too. Till then, Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and whatever you're celebrating, just have a wonderful one. Steve Sullivan, signing
6: off. Hello, Derek. This is Richard, the Monster Movie Kid. So you want to know what Monster Movie Kid does to incorporate monsters into the holiday season. Well, you know, I typically kind of put the most of the monster movies off to the side during the month of December. I bring out a lot of my old, you know, holiday movies and specials and uh, kind of give everything else a rest. But, you know, there are a few of my movies and a few things that I listen to that certainly have a horrific tone. Now, for years now, I've been trying to incorporate some of the more contemporary holiday slasher flicks, like Black Christmas, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Uh, This year, I discovered a film called To All a Good Night, which is really a bad film, and I don't recommend anybody watch it. Not a lot of old movies, though, incorporated Christmas in a horrific way. This is more of a modern thing. But uh, I've been talking about those for the last several years over at my blog, monstermoviekid.wordpress.com, shameless plug. But uh, as far as old school stuff, I love old time radio. And I always try to fit in some of the old time radio um, horror episodes of like Suspense and Escape. They've done some really good episodes back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, and I discovered a few new ones this year, including an early 1940s episode of Suspense, which is their take on the tale Back for Christmas. Now, this is a story that's popped up on a lot of different old-time radio shows. Uh, Escape actually did a really good version of it. Just the other morning, I watched an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents that did their take on it. Essentially, it's about a hand pecked husband who decides to kill his wife when they're planning a trip to the States and things don't quite go as planned. The early 40s version had Peter Lorre in it, and it's definitely a very different take on it. And a lot of it's because of Peter Lorre's voice, but I really enjoyed it. And I just posted about that and included a link to where you can listen to it on YouTube. Certainly something I think your listeners would be into. Uh, And the one thing that I watch every single year, I watch a lot of different versions of A Christmas Carol. Now, I listened to the 1939 Campbell Playhouse version, which stars Lionel Barrymore as Ebenezer Scrooge, also features Orson Welles. I've been listening to that every holiday season since 1989, when I discovered it on the radio on Christmas Eve when we lived in Paris, Texas, because the Campbell Soup Factory is in Paris, Texas. And they uh, decided to play it on a local radio station. And I've listened to it ever since, whether it was on audio cassette or now CD. It's an annual listen to me and highly recommended. And then I always incorporate, like I said, different versions of the movie. But there's always two versions that I watch every single year. Early on in the month, I will watch the 1999 version with Patrick Stewart, which I think is a lot of fun. And on Christmas Eve, again, ever since 1989, when I recorded it off television, I have been watching the 1951 version with Alistair Sim, which certainly, of course, has ghosts. It is a Christmas ghost tale, after all. Uh, I think it's the best version. I think Alistair Sim is amazing. Uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but who plays Jacob Marley is great. Uh, If you've never seen a version of A Christmas Carol... Start off with either the 51 version or the 99 version. There's a lot of different versions that I always kind of rotate during the holiday season. Once the holidays are done, the monster movies come back into play. So that's how Monster Movie Kids celebrates the holiday season and incorporates some good old monster goodness into the mix. Derek, uh, from myself to you and to brenda and everyone out there in the monster kid radio family may i say a very merry christmas happy holidays uh happy kwanzaa happy hanukkah whatever you celebrate or don't Merry newton moss i know for our good friend terry frost down there in uh, the land down under whatever the case may be i hope everyone has a very safe and happy holiday season and here's to a better 2017 for all of us take care my friend
7: Hey Derek and everybody out there in Monster Kid Radio Land. This is Chris McMillan from The Shadow Over Portland answering the call as to how I incorporate monsters into my holiday season. Actually, a better question would be how I incorporate the holiday season into my monsters because I'm always into monsters every day of the year. The holiday just means that I'm looking for monsters that are roaming around in the snow or under mistletoe or they may be a ghost of Christmas past, present, and future hanging around. Yeah, that is one of the things I do every December. I'm, I always read A Christmas Carol because it's the perfect ghost story this time of year when the nights are long and cold and you're looking for something to add another little shiver down your spine. Um, of course, recently... Monsters have incorporated themselves into holiday movies with A Christmas Horror Story and Krampus, both involving that lovable holiday demon. And, of course, the holiday season isn't complete until I've watched How the Grinch Stole Christmas, narrated by Boris Karloff. That you just have to see every year if you're a monster kid. And another nice thing about the holidays is it gives me a chance to find a few deals on those monster movies I need to add to my collection, and uh, this year was no exception. I've actually picked up a few classic Universal monster movies um, that happened to go on sale real cheap at Amazon, and for Christmas Day, I actually found a copy of the new Godzilla, the Garth Edwards one, that I'll be uh, popping into the DVD player on Christmas morning, Basically, for me, the holidays is a chance to visit some old monstrous friends and a few new ones that I've uh, found over the years. Anyway, I want to take this opportunity to wish everyone a monstrously good holiday season and a happy new year. And oh, here comes the shameless plug. If you're looking for something to do in 2017, swing by the Shadow Over Portland, where I list all of the. Sci-fi, horror, and fantasy films, festivals, conventions, and all. Um, yeah, if you're looking for something to do next year, you'll find it under the shadow of our Portland. Okay, let's end that shameless plug. I hope everyone's having a wonderful holiday season. I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I'm looking forward to seeing um, what happens... I should say hearing what happens on monster kid radio as it hits. Ooh, episode 300s coming real soon. Take care, everybody. Have a great holiday season.
0: Lots of good stuff in there. And yeah, the Grinch that stole Christmas, Boris Karloff Christmas. I mean, come on. It's just a, perfect fit right it makes sense for monster kids to be into that and all the rankin bass stuff you know the the big bumble and rudolph the red-nosed reindeer there's a monster right and those misfit toys are kind of creepy too nightmare before christmas gets a lot of love this time of year combining halloween and christmas good stuff there jeff went through an incredible list of wish list items and he made a comment about how i didn't do a wish list this year i didn't do a holiday gift guide just ran out of time didn't make it happen but Tell you what, I'm going to try real hard to do it next year for the next holiday season. So stay tuned for that. Lots of old time radio being listened to. Just some great messages. Really enjoyed it. Really appreciated everybody calling in and sending in their audio files. I want to comment on the last one that I played. It was Chris. He does run the website, The Shadow Over Portland. There's a link over at monsterkidradio.net. It's because of Chris. I found out about something that's happening the first month of 2017. The Academy Theater. Here in Portland, Oregon, check them out at academytheaterpdx.com. Go to special events, and you're going to see a month's worth of classic science fiction. I'm going to go through the list. You ready? The fun starts on December 30th, Plan 9 from Outer Space. The following week, The Thing from Another World on 35mm film. The week after that, The Blob. The week after that, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman on 35mm. And then finally, the week after that, Them. I'm not going to be able to go to every single week. I just can't make that happen with the day job and other responsibilities, but I can guarantee there's going to be at least one monster kid radio crash happening in January. Stay tuned for that. Big thanks to Chris for letting me know about this. This is amazing. I know he's going to go see the thing from another world and that's a 35 millimeter film print. And I know that's one of his favorite films and yeah, you know what? Let's plan on that being at least one of the crashes again. Stay tuned. <music> That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody for listening and sticking around for episode 299. I really do hope everybody has a wonderful holiday season. Whatever it is you do or don't do, just have fun. And incorporate some monsters if you can, because that's what us monster kids do. If you're looking for some monster stuff to kill some time or keep yourself occupied during the holiday season... Check out monsterkidradio.net. That's our website. That's where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio. Between episodes, there's links to our Facebook group, our Facebook page. Our contact information is there. You can always call in and leave a voicemail about anything Monster Kid related or podcast related at 503-479-5657. That's 503 479 mkr Or you can send an audio file or an email to monsterkidradio at gmail. Com. Of course, there's links to everything that we talk about on the show on our website. So go check that out. Okay, next week, episode 300. It's the big wow. If I am huh, I'm gobsmacked, I'm speechless. To get to 300 episodes of Monster Kid Radio blows my mind. And I couldn't have gotten to this point without you guys and gals. So I really appreciate all of your support over the years. The past 299 episodes means a lot to me. And I would love to have your voice in the mix for episode 300. So if you have any favorite moments from Monster Kid Radio over the past 300 years, 300 years, 300 episodes. So if you have any favorite moments from Monster Kid Radio over the past 300 episodes, please call it in or write it in and I'll include you in next week's show. I don't have anything solid lined up for episode 300, but we're going to try to do something special. I do have some feedback about Battle for the Planet of the Apes and the ongoing controversy between Steve Sullivan and Paul McComas about King Kong. We're going to be doing that next week as well. Just come back. Come back in seven days. It'll be fun. I promise. Between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, <gasps> unported license. Except the song, The Boss Jaguars Rockin' Carol. That belongs to The Boss Jaguars. You can find them over at themightylandshark.bandcamp.com. It's the album, Santa's Bangin' It's the album, Santa's Bangin' Safari. Check that out. Check out all their albums and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Talk to everybody next week for episode 300. Ciao.